The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Just heard Club Integral, and now you're listening to Verily Swimming on Resonance 104.4 FM. As usual, I'm Emma. I'm joined by... Oh, I'm Leo, as usual. And we've got a really special guest today, Dr. Henry Fisher, who is a director of policy at VotFast, a policy innovation hub that explores alternatives to current public policies relating to drugs. Is that accurate? Yep, that's right. Yeah, could have right. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, you just heard Love is the Drug by Roxy Music to lead us into our discussion of drugs policy. Um, I kind of just wanted to ask all of us, like, what kind of drug education we maybe had at school as well, mm. and like, what kind of informed our knowledge of drugs to this point, I guess. So at school, we had PSHE, we like had to learn, we learned a lot about street names for drugs. Mm. That was a big topic we did, and I remember one of them, I find it really funny, that it was caffeine they'd put as the drug, and the street name was Kappa. And I just thought, <laughs> why, like, why are you teaching us this? But um, we also had, because I grew up in Glasgow, so I don't know, I think this is maybe slightly different to other people's experience, but we had like people who were former heroin addicts come in and talk to us about, you know, this is the first time they ever had any money in their pocket because they were always spending on heroin. But I think it was quite a, like, I don't know, what do you call it, like, scorched, is it scorched earth or whatever? Basically just like, drugs are really bad and you'll die if you take drugs. Yeah, kind I remember of watching a video of like someone taking MDMA or ecstasy because it was the 90s and... Um, they died like that like yeah. for for me i've just grown up and like if you take anything that is not legal you will die but but i've also just always had like a gut fear and i don't know if it came from like pc nights talks or just like i don't know or from watching like movies like over 15s before i was 15 or something mm. i don't know <laughs> I just, I'm just interested about the, the kind of cuppa thing, the idea mm-hmm. that you could go down a back alley and kind of buy a baggie of tea. Do you want a cuppa? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. oh, if a stranger offers you, sure you some cuppa. It looks like it's been cut with dishwater. Like, <laughs> um, uh, is it anyway. purity? Has it got coffee in it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it looks like a mix. I'll, I'll analyse it. Um, so I guess, the, well, the drug education I got, school, yeah, so I got, I guess, the two classics. I got the ex-addict coming in and and kind of giving one spiel, and then I got the policeman who who did the whole... Who here has taken drugs? Put your hand up, and no one puts their hand up except the policeman. And then he says, "Ah, you see, I took a paracetamol this morning." And you go, "Oh, oh my gosh, I've had that exact line. That's so annoying." Yeah, yeah, the classic. But then I I guess partly the drug education I got at school because I really like chemistry that kind of got me interested in just the subject of these drugs. I remember going home with the pamphlets and reading about what at the time I thought were these terrifying substances you know, LSD, which could you know make you go mad and whatever else it happened to be. And finding them you know, just fascinating just as chemicals. And that's kind of that always spurned my academic interest, which then that then evolved into, I guess, what I'm doing now. 
But uh, yeah, certainly the, the education I got at school was very one-sided in terms of, you know, if if you take a drag on a, on a, on a cannabis cigarette, wacky backy, uh, yeah, exactly, you'll end up um, shooting up before you've even done your GCSEs yes, and done an alleyway. Um, and I guess that's kind of the problem with a lot of our drugs education that starts off on that kind of very extreme Nancy Reagan end of things and it doesn't allow for the kind of more pragmatic harm reduction kind of messages to cut through because you either believe it all and everything's terrifying or you you know you suddenly find out that actually I haven't died yet and you know if your friends start start taking something and they're not all dropping dead around you and so that then influences your your you know what you've been told and you think well is any of it true but in fact a lot of the information you do get told at school is very good. You know, that drug use does carry a lot of risks and there are ways to reduce that. So, for example, with cannabis, a lot of people in Europe smoke cannabis with tobacco, which is an incredibly harmful way of smoking cannabis. Cannabis obviously carries its own risks, um, but a major harm from cannabis is the amount of tobacco that's actually smoked with it. Um, and that's certainly something that in the US and Canada, where there's more of a culture around smoking cannabis, they do a lot less. So they smoke it far more on its own, either vaping or in other ways. Um, and so that's something that, that, that needs to be communicated to people a lot more effectively and can be done if you start talking about drugs in these kind of more nuanced harm reduction terms rather than everything's bad and will kill you. So yeah, Henry, you've already started telling us a little bit about it. So you were at Secret Garden Party this week? I was at Secret Garden Party this weekend. I was volunteering for an organisation called The Loop, which is a drug and alcohol advice organisation. I should also say I'm kind of speaking here in a personal capacity, so I only just volunteer for The Loop. So I'm speaking in a personal capacity and, and as my capacity as, as a policy director at, at VaultFast. The, the Loop are this organisation that were providing this service called Front of House Drug Testing, where festival goers could come and get their drugs tested. Uh, but also as part of that, when the festival goers came to use the service that the loop provided, they were also then given advice on the risks of drugs um, and offered a chance to talk about their own drug use and whether they had any concerns and given what's essentially called harm reduction advice to minimise the possible risks of their own drug use as much as possible. And has this ever been done in Britain before? In this, clubs or in festivals? This and, is a complete yeah. UK first um, for festival goes or anyone to be allowed to take their drugs to a service and get them tested on site that's the first so there have been services that have been testing drugs but only back of house services so either for the police or for the welfare or medical services of festivals or clubs before um, so it's quite a big thing really and do other countries do this then so it's a it's a first for the uk but it's i mean the uk is kind of behind the times a bit on this it, but some other countries, so Austria, Switzerland and the Netherlands have all been doing this for years. And it's interesting seeing the results that have actually already happened. It's actually caused people's drug use in those countries to to change gradually to slightly more healthier or le- less less unhealthy, should we say, uh, damaging patterns of use. And, and it's had lots of other knock-on effects. OK, and how, how was it that The Loop kind of created this relationship with Secret Garden Party? How did that happen? How did that come about? So, the, the, I mean, the, the kind of mastermind behind this is someone called Professor Fiona Misham, who's a professor of criminology at Durham University, and she is co-founder of The Loop and also director. Um, And she has essentially been working at this for years, um, getting the support of all the different um, uh, actors involved. So it requires support of a hell of a lot of people. Uh, Obviously, the festival management and the organisers themselves. It then also requires the support of the police, 
um, the support of the kind of public health and, and the medics on site, and it also needs the support of uh, the local councils at kind of various levels. Um, so trying to get all those people to agree for something which, at least in the UK, is still quite controversial is kind of a bit like herding cats at the moment. Um, and so Secret Garden Party is the first time where the stars have aligned and it's all fallen into place and been allowed to happen. Often the festival management are the first to want to do something about this because they see their own festival goers suffering from poor, you know, poor... Um, like lack drug of use. information. Yeah, lack of information mm. and kind of poor drug use patterns and things like that. And if they had more information, if they were allowed to provide more information... Um, then they'd see fewer drug deaths, which would obviously be a good thing for for festivals all around and people generally. So how does the whole process work? So you have a tent, how does it work? I should say for a start that still the policy at Secret Garden Party is a zero-tolerance approach to drugs. So there's still sniffer dogs on the gates and there's still police. Um, And if people are found with drugs, they will have them taken off them. But if people do manage to smuggle their drugs in, which a lot of people do at festivals, then in that eventuality, you know, if you've managed to get your drugs through the through the gates, then the, in all likelihood you're planning on taking them. People don't smuggle their drugs in just so they can have them lying around. So at that point, you're then in a situation of, well, how do we protect these people who are potentially in a vulnerable situation from the possible harms that might be caused from taking completely unknown illegal substances? And so at this point, they could then come to our tent and completely anonymously, they could hand over a small sample of their drugs, uh, so whether that's a tiny little scoop of whatever white powder they happen to have or a pill or a section of a pill. Uh, so they hand that over and that then gets taken to... So I'm, I'm a chemist by training and so I was working in the little lab that we had at the back along with a bunch of other trained chemists um, and we had a range of different analytical techniques that we could then use to analyse the drugs. We had what's called two IR spectrometers, infrared spectrometers, and the way these work is they you put a little sample on a plate and the machine then shines an infrared laser at the sample. That sample then essentially... So you think about infrared light a bit like visible light. So if we look at something, say, grass, and it's green, that means that certain wavelengths of light are being reflected off that makes it look green. So with every different drug they'll reflect back different wavelengths of infrared light and depending on which wavelengths are reflected back you can then tell what the molecule is so that's how we end up identifying what's in these drugs and what combinations of molecules are also in the drugs Uh, so that's our kind of primary analytical technique what we can then also do is quantitative analysis on the pills to find out how strong they are uh, the actual mdma content of the pills or whatever else it happens to be and then we also have a backup which we can check when things are a bit ambiguous which is to use reagent testing which certainly isn't perfect but just allows us another kind of second check if you like um, for certain drugs and so how reliable are all these methods again no science is not perfect it's never perfect especially when you're working in a lab that's just been set up in a field so there's always going to be a certain level of inaccuracy and we we communicate that to to the users of the service when they when they get the results that you know this is just for information purposes this is in no way a kind of you know sign of quality or anything like that this is just simply this is what we found and it's you know it can't be 100% accurate and there are errors but you know it, it certainly gives you an indication of what you're dealing with much more so than they had before where they just had a mystery white powder do you ever use the machines to like, have you ever like looked at chocolate bars or anything with it to play around uh, with? Before, when we're setting up the lab, mm. you have to test the machines to check they're working. So then we kind of look around and you know you'll be like, let's just 
check your lab coat. Oh, yep, turns out it's made of cotton, and you check, oh, right. the, you know, check the so spatula, come, and the spatula's made of metal and everything else. It comes out, and it, has it does it come up on a screen? It says, like, this has got cotton in it. Everything has this kind of unique fingerprint spectrum. Mm. And what we then do, we take that spectrum and we analyze it against a huge database, which has a huge range of drugs, has a huge range of other adulterants, has a huge range of all sorts of other things that you might expect to find in drugs and a hell of, hell of a lot of other things besides. It then spits out a figure of what the what it thinks is 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 in these that's incredible uh, substances. And it t- you, you couldn't just sit a monkey in front of this machine and say go because mm. you do need to have a bit of chemical knowledge to see whether the machine is making sense or whether it's telling you nonsense which on rare occasions it looks at a sample and gets a bit confused so you need to have a bit of sense about your about you to kind of know what's going on there What's the, what was the relationship like at the festival with the police? We, we were separate of the police, but they were fully in support of our actions there. Because of what we were doing, the agreement that we had with the police is that they wouldn't have a presence in the tent or around the tent. I imagine that would that would be a festival goer's concern, that if they go to the tent, they'll be immediately it, cautioned by the police or something. Exactly. Firstly, it would undermine the service that we're providing because festival goers aren't going to want to go up to a tent and give up their drugs if they see a policeman standing outside looking in. So there's that concern for a start. Because it's also kind of not really what what the police want to be focusing on. I mean, they could, you know, they, they, they could cavity search every single festival goer that comes in, but that's not the most useful use of their time. Mm. Um, and similarly, it's not the most useful use of their time to arrest every single person that comes out of our tent. And the, so the agreement we have with them is... They, they stay away from our tent. So once you've looked at the sample and you've said, okay, we've got this and that, you know, maybe it's not what you expected, you thought it was this, but actually it's something else. What kind of advice processes are there for the people, the kind of services of the festival goers? What were they told? So the team at the festival, it was made up of, so there's a mix of the kind of chemists in the back room and then out the front, we then have a series of booths which are manned by trained, experienced drug workers um, and they provide... Uh, uh, information. Uh, they're, 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 they're the people that in, then interact with the people coming to use the service, the festival goes. Um, and so when the festival goes come to get their results back, and so it takes about anything between, like, say, 15 minutes and an hour to analyse a sample, okay. depending on what it is. Um, and then so they go away, have a drink, have a dance, come back. Um, and then the trained drug worker goes through the kind of in- intervention session uh, where they, they, they talk to the festival girl about their own drug use, about the risks of drugs. The very first thing that they say to them is that all drug use carries risks. The only way to avoid the risks of drug use is to not take drugs at all. But bearing that in mind, if you are going to take drugs, these, is, these are some of the things you need to be aware of, and then it's X, Y, Z, whatever they say. Obviously, you were one of the analysers. I don't mm. know, maybe that's not your technical term for it. <laughs> Did you find anything that really surprised you in the samples? Uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's interesting seeing the range. I mean, looking at at least, say, even just with pills that we found that had MDMA in, you get the range of pills. You can have anything between, say, 20 milligrams of MDMA and 250 milligrams of MDMA, so that's a factor of 12 there you know the kind of average sample uh, average size that uh, that someone might be wanting to take is between 80 and 100 milligrams which means that some of those pills are significantly higher than they're expecting and some are significantly lower uh, so there's that and that, that's even for the drugs where they actually think they know what they're taking uh, for some other drugs we found 
bags of mystery white powder that people both thought were either ketamine and thought were, or thought were cocaine and both turned out to be this fairly unpleasant anti-malarial drug called chloroquine, which you certainly wouldn't want to be putting up your nose in, you know, by the gramful. So, you know, it's interesting, actually, when you then tell people this advice, a huge amount of them then hand over the samples for the loop to dispose of. That's um, really great, because I thought you were going to say, we just take them anyway. But that's really good. Obviously, it's working. I, I mean, you, you do get the odd person that, that goes, OK, thank you. And then they kind of run off back into the... But it's, um, it's actually interesting, the number of people that don't do that and think, well, actually, I don't think I'm going to put this up my nose anymore. But that, that's it. There seems to be... You're kind of building relationship of trust between the festival goers. Like, how how do they kind of approach you? Are they? Do you find that they're quite skeptical at first? Some or? are certainly very incredulous at first, and when you tell them, yeah, no, this is what we're doing, and they say, really? And you're not. Well, they think it's like a trap. Um, yeah, yeah. Really? I mean, well, because it is, it is certainly unusual at a festival here. Hopefully, the kind of the the you know the kind of longer term goal is that it wouldn't be that unusual, and that mm. you know it might evolve, and that actually rather than this just being service that's offered at a few festivals it might even be possibly even requirement a, a mandatory requirement of mm. festivals of a certain size or type and what do you think about the idea that maybe some people might have concerns that it would encourage people to use drugs they might not be using otherwise like how do you feel about that I mean, that is the, the kind of number one criticism that's kind of leveled out. like surely you're just promoting drug use you're just encouraging it there'll be people who weren't considering taking drugs before that now you've given the kind of seal of approval they will do um i mean you can point to other countries and say well that's not necessarily borne out by results um but also um the the aim, main aim of the, the service that was being provided is to reduce harm it's to make sure that people are actually being given information because so for a lot of these people they 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 probably don't consider themselves problematic drug users um they're people who have a what they would consider to be a perfectly healthy relationship with their drug use and so it's probably the first time in years if not ever they've actually spoken face to face with someone who's an experienced drug worker who can say if you have a problem with your drug use or you think you might do you can speak to me completely confidentially also if you ever need our services in future you can contact these places and it might be that the, that that person doesn't need those services then it might be you know that might be the case for the majority of people that use that service but then maybe they might think about that later in the festival or some way down the line or they find the, the you know some of the advice that we've given them um subsequently and think actually maybe this would be useful or even if it just makes them think uh this is what i've got uh, or they've been told about how you know the potential dangers of a certain substance maybe actually i'm i'm, I'm gonna take it easy slightly and I'm not going to try and stick it all up my nose in one go. So do you think that there's evidence to suggest that it would decrease drug use, this system? I mean, the, the, the kind of evidence can kind of go both ways, really. I mean, certainly in the fact that we took drugs out of circulation at Secret Garden Party, that's, you know, by the number of samples. That we, and not just we took some drugs out of circulation, but we took some of the most potentially most harmful missold drugs mm. out of circulation and then we also provided incredibly valuable information about the dangers of other drugs that, that people kept. So uh, when people had pills that had maybe, say, 250 milligram dosages in, we could say, by the way, that pill is that, you know, it has that, that dosage in. Mm. What that means is that um, you might, you, you shouldn't be taking loads at once. More, perhaps a more sensible approach might be to split it in half or a quarter and 
take it in bits or if you have say a very crystalline powder of see, MDMA. In, in that occasion you're actually suggesting to someone that they take take it so isn't that problematic uh, so yes yeah, so the, the the advice that was given was never to take the drugs but okay. it was you're going to take them anyway there's more dangerous ways of doing it and there's less dangerous mm. ways of doing it and the less dangerous ways of doing it are this way that's that's essentially the, the advice that was given and it's the same advice so last year there was a lot of crystalline mdma found in 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 the festival circuit and so the advice that was then given out by the loop last year was uh crush dab weight which is to crush the crystals into a powder dab it in smaller amounts onto the tongue rather than you know taking huge great mouthfuls or whatever they happen to be doing um uh, and waiting for it to take effect before redosing um so yeah that that's kind of it, it's pragmatic which is you know people are there to take drugs that's why they've brought them into the festival they don't mm. bring them in and stare at them um so that's the reality of the situation that you're dealing with they're going to be taking it anyway and you're giving them advice to make them more safe with their choices. Yeah, I mean, I guess safe is potentially a, a, a tricky word because like I say, there's, there's always risks. Yeah. But you're certainly reducing the harm. Um, and that's that's I mean, that's the whole point. The whole, the name of what, what the Loop is providing is a harm reduction service. And so what's next for the Loop? Where is it going to go? Uh, so the, the very next step for the Loop um, is this weekend at Kendall Calling, they're providing the service again. So if you are going to Kendall Calling and you happen to find yourself in possession of some illicit substances, some mystery white powders, uh, and you're concerned, then head over to the Loop Tent. Um, uh, so that's that's the very first step. Then the next step subsequently is to hopefully get more festivals involved. Also maybe look at club nights that might want to take up this kind of testing. Uh, so they're, they're kind of the proper name for the, the testing service that that the loop are providing is MAST, which is multi-agency safety testing. And that it's called that because there are mul- multiple agencies involved in providing the information. Uh, and that's, that's what will be hanging outside the loop tent. And then the kind of next step is, so the the kit that the loop have at the moment are infrared spectrometers. The kind of holy grail of a forensic drug testing is to have a, what's called a GCMS machine, which is a gas, gas chromatograph uh, mass spectrometer. That can then... Uh, analyze a much greater range of samples with much greater accuracy much quicker uh, but they're unfortunately a lot more expensive as well and so the aim is to buy that ideally put it in a van so it's easier to take around to places that that would be the ideal really that was really really interesting i think that's all we've really got time for it's kind of time to say goodbye so thank you so much for coming henry sorry we didn't get through like half the stuff we wanted to get through thank you everyone for listening thank you Ilya, for engineering us and follow us on at vrw radio if you want to just tell our listeners henry if they want to get involved with any of the things you've been talking about or find out more information is there anywhere they can go? Certainly, if you're interested in the loop, you can you can volunteer to help for the loop. So go to wearetheloop.co.uk. If you want to read anything else about drug policy, I'd recommend you visit uh, voltfast.me. Part of what Fast does is it runs a magazine, uh, and there's you know there's lots of other good uh, drugs advice information. I'd recommend Drugs and Me and Drug Science as two good websites to visit. 